This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. All right, that one hurt. That one hurt. It wasn't a hot hitter that beat you. It wasn't even really a bullpen implosion. It was a moment where you got a little bit of lift. You thought the Mariners had pulled ahead when Dylan Moore hit a home run in the sixth inning. Two-run shot off of Rayleigh, the guy that he had belted one off of before, to give you the lead, and oh, you didn't do the little things. The Mariners lose 4-3 to three to the Houston Astros in... About the most excruciating, I, that that's one of my least favorite ways to lose is when you go end up kicking yourself over the little things. You're right, Danny. This team doesn't beat itself very often, and they beat themselves last night. The main focus is what Dylan Moore didn't do in the eighth inning, but there were other moments in this game where a team that has been really, I think, good defensively this year was not good. And that's all it takes against a team like Houston, who you got pretty good starting pitching against. You got pretty good relief work against. Didn't matter because, of course, that offense is what it is. Well, let's 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 tell you the Dylan Moore story. It's going to be in two cuts. The first, how Dylan Moore giveth his two-run homer off of a guy that he touched up, and as Ryan Davis phrased it, when he hit the grand slam that got Kendall Graveman traded. Really, here comes the 1-0 pitch. Breaking ball, swung on, driven deep to left center field towards the pen. It's got carry. Giddy up, baby. God, a home run. Dylan Moore with a two-run homer. The Mariners have a 3-2 lead. He's done it again to the Astros. Demo goes large. Oh, what a blast. He's got Rayleigh's number and then some. A grand slam last time Houston was here, and now a two-run shot. And the Mariners have a 3-2 lead. Dylan, there was the good. Was there was the good. Biscuit. Yeah. There was, there was the good one. That was the good, Paul. You feel pretty good at that point, right? Mariners are up one. They're turning it over to the bullpen. You're like, all right, let's go. It was a tale of two cuts, wasn't it, Danny? Yeah, because in the eighth inning. And it's tough to get. No, no, it's not to art. It was really frustrating because after tying the game, the Astros have a runner on second base, and he's a pretty quick dude. It's a guy that had, what, stolen 11 or 12 bags so far this year, including the one that he got yesterday. But he stumbles, man. He stumbles. After hesitating. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I was surprised when I saw him keep running and round third and go home because that's about the time that slower ground ball into the outfield is getting to Dylan Moore and he, he threw it into second base yeah and he hesitated too where it looked like he had a chance to throw it home he was lined up and he started to follow through but then he didn't and then he ended up throwing it he lobbed it second. into into second like I'm not I'm totally not well here we'll play Dylan Moore's explanation of what happened because he might be as puzzled as we all are about the actual mental process that led to him throwing and not with a special amount of urgency to second base instead of trying to get him at home. Yeah, I can't really pinpoint uh, a reason other than that. I just, I just the the ball took a while to get to the outfield. Yeah, he did stumble and and I just made the wrong read and, and didn't throw it when I should have. 
Ouch. Yeah, and I could see why in that moment where you would think that the runner on second base on a slow dribbling grounder to left center field, he's going to get home easily, but he hesitated and he stumbled and he wasn't at third. I mean, he might have been just crossing or uh, rounding third as more. I think the ball he was basically up. at the bag. Right. When more, when more got him, they they they, re- they really should have got him. And look, like Dylan Moore couldn't have been more accountable. He said, "It's my fault. I goofed." And th- there's a couple of different possibilities of what happened. Maybe he didn't see the runner stumble, in which case that he would have scored easily from second if he doesn't stumble. If he doesn't yeah. stumble, he's he he is standing up at the plate no matter what you do. So maybe he didn't see the stumble. The second part is, and this is what I think might be, is that after he saw the stumble, he just assumed he wasn't going home and didn't realize, and maybe even the third base coach saw the way the Mariners were playing it in the outfield and realizes, okay, they're not playing with a ton of urgency here. But the fact that he'd already gotten, he'd already put the runner on second base because of a throwing error, and then to have him end up coming home when you would have had a chance to throw him out, that it, it, that was tough to take. Part of it's on Dylan Moore. Part of it's on the infield. You guys got to talk to him. I mean, he agreed. It, it, whether it's J.P. Crawford or it's the pitcher or it's somebody out there has to be yelling. Communication is really important in baseball and. In a moment like that, I could see why Dylan Moore maybe fell asleep. Doesn't excuse it, but somebody else has to step up there. That's on J.P. Crawford, I, I would say, most specifically, the guy who is the leader of your team. Yeah, there should be fail-safes there, right? There should be communication of, hey, he's coming home. At the, there were multiple shortcomings on that play, and the end result is that the Mariners lose an opportunity. Both the Yankees and Red Sox lost. as an opportunity uh-huh. to make up ground on both of them. More than that, it was an opportunity to get out in front of a team that has been clobbering you for years. And and you blew the opportunity with poor defense. Uh, we will get back more to the Mariners who lose 4-3 to three last night. Uh, the other news in the Seahawks, today is going to be roster cut down day. We are seeing news come in from all across the NFL. I'm get, guessing that we're going to have updates for you throughout the show. There was a trade yesterday. The Seahawks picked up Sidney Jones. People will remember him. He's a former UW cornerback, someone whose draft stock was was largely affected. He ended up suffering a torn Achilles in pre-draft workouts. It's a second-round pick with the Eagles. He's most recently been with the Jaguars. Seattle gives up a sixth-round pick from next year's draft for him. They've also, I just saw the updates, uh, Tommy Champion and Jared Hawker, who were two offensive linemen that were in Seattle's camp. Brady Henderson at ESPN.com reporting that the Seahawks have let them go. Yep, and also just flashing across the screen, the Patriots have released Cam Newton, uh, the starting quarterback in New England. So there you go. As far as the Sidney Jones trade goes, Danny, what do you make of it? Because for me, it feels like the Seahawks are not very comfortable with their cornerback situation. They want more depth. Right. They, they want more depth. There's no doubt about that. But this isn't a starter for sure, right? Like this is this is a guy who's probably a third, fourth. He's 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 someone that you will make the roster, but I don't I don't think they're necessarily banking on him being a starter. We'll find out before roster cuts today, but I know there have been some rumors that maybe Trey Flowers could end up being released. I don't know how much stock to put into them, but whatever the case, Danny, I, yeah, that that's someone who's probably a third or a fourth corner, but wouldn't you have said the same thing about DJ Reed last year when the Seahawks got him midseason? Yeah, look, I'm all on board on this. A, I love the way Sidney Jones played in college, and I understand there's been a significant injury since then. But I, I, I love picking up a guy to, that you think might fit in and not giving up very much for him. He's, he's playing on a very affordable contract. I think it's a million-dollar salary with a, a couple hundred thousand dollars of some incentives that are tied to it. Give him a shot to Put him in the pool. And in fact, if you gave me a choice this offseason between 
the 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 combination platter that Seattle has has gotten with Jones, John Reed, Akella Witherspoon, and Trey Brown. Those are the four corners that they've added. Between that and just adding Stephon Gilmore, I really might go with the four that they've picked. I'm not I'm not certain about that. Mm. I really might go with the with the depth that they've got. I don't think that's a crazy argument because Gilmore's coming off the quad injury, and you don't know what he's going to be. You'd have to give up at least one first-round pick to get him. You have to probably give him an extension. Like, There's a lot of factors that go in there. But at the same time, Danny, I'm looking at the way that the Seahawks have been operating at this cornerback position, and you can keep playing the lottery all you want. And look, they might have struck the lottery with uh, DJ Reed. He's pretty good at the very least. But at the same time, you know they, they made the move for Quinton Dunbar last offseason, and, and we thought that was going to be a, a real steal for them. And it didn't work. No. It, it, it didn't work. And Trey Flowers hasn't panned out as a starting cornerback, and he was a fifth-round pick. Give me the strength in numbers. Give, give me – have the guy come here and play and prove that he's a starter rather than we're paying this guy to be our starter and to be here for years to come. Do you want that guy to be – I think I'd want that guy to be more an undrafted free agent or someone, though, that's an, that's an, that hasn't what? been proven than somebody like, I don't know, like a Sidney Jones or some of these other guys that, that they've just brought in. I mean, like some of these guys that they're bringing in, Danny, we know what they are, right? I mean, in Sidney Jones, the guy's coming off a of torn Achilles. Has he been the same since the torn Achilles? No, he hasn't. He also hasn't been in a different system, and Seattle, I think, has shown the ability to bring the most out of cornerbacks. I think they've really shown the ability. I like what they're doing. I'm not as worried about the cornerback position as a lot of people seem to be. We'll get more into that. We'll have the professor here in five minutes, but it's time for Front Page News. This this is the Front Page, brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. It is roster cutdown day across the NFL, and the biggest news is one that just dropped in the last five minutes. The New England Patriots have released Cam Newton, starting quarterback, at least for last season, which means that Mac Jones, their first-round pick, will be starter. The Seahawks also, some moves that they have to make ahead of them. Tommy Champion, Jared Hawker, two that they have released thus far. We'll continue to update you on that as the day continues. Newton's a surprise. (laughs) As far as things go across the league, he played well in the preseason, had a good camp, weren't a whole lot of complaints about him. They must really just like Mac Jones. Does this mean that they were mad about the COVID testing snafu? I doubt it helped them. I mean, if you're in a quarterback competition and you are looking to hang around on the roster even after the fact, this is not the way to go about it. It's surprising. Wouldn't you rather have Cam Newton as a backup than release him? I don't know, man. I think they think he's cooked. Mm. I think that's their conclusion. I think Brian Hoyer's still there. This is choosing Brian Hoyer to be your backup or potential yeah, starter ahead of Cam Newton. He's terrible. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, they're keeping him ahead of Cam Newton. They Do are. You think Bill Belichick's dumb. Do you, I feel like this is more Cam Newton wouldn't handle being a backup. Maybe than it is Cam Newton's not a better backup than someone like Brian Hoyer. Or they're mad at him about the COVID testing snafu. He's not reliable if that happens, period. End of story. You know, forget all the off the field stuff. If you want to have a complete roster week to week and you're starting quarterback week to week, which, by the way, that was a big problem last year because remember when we saw Brian Hoyer against the Kansas City Chiefs because Cam Newton had the Coco? Uh, that, that is a surprising move still. Belichick stays cutthroat. 
it's only surprising if we consider Cam Newton's name. If you if he did not have an MVP on his resume and he didn't if he was just uh Joe Smith last year, not even Joe Smith the side side armor, just Joe Smith last year, you'd have looked at him and said, This guy's done, right? Yes. Like yes. he can't throw the ball downfield. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. And there was so much talk about him in the locker room and how much he was liked, but I would say locally, that's a conversation that we've had before about Tavares Jackson, right? Yeah. Late Tavares Jackson. He was really well liked, but as far as being a starting quarterback or something like that, how much stock do you put into what a guy is, his approval rating in the locker room compared to what he actually can do for you? The Front Page. All right. We had a little Husky press conference yesterday in anticipation of the season opener against Montana. First of all, they released two deeps. Was very excited to see Richard Newton as the starting tailback. Two years ago, he was a redshirt freshman. He was their best runner. I I think there's been some some issues with him being in and or out of the doghouse with Jimmy Lake. And he suited up for the final two games last season, but didn't play after being underwhelming those first two. He had a knee injury as freshman. He's back at the top. I think he's the best running back on their roster. I, so I was excited to see that. You know what I who I like? I, it's the, the, the Sean McGrew show is, is Sean McGrew's great. Look, I, I love it, but Richard Richard Newton's the best the best running back they have. I, I want to see him get more. I was encouraged to see him as the starter. How much do you think they're going to run the football this year? I, I think he wants to be 50-50. 50-50? Every, everything that it says about the system that they've put in. They don't have much experience at wide receiver. I think they've got some good speed. But, yeah, I, I, I think he wants to run the dang ball like his hat said last year. And that means Dylan Morris as well as your Yeah, starter. I'm okay with Dylan Morris. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Sam here get a series in each half to start with and kind of see how that goes. But I thought Dylan Morris played really good last year. I, I like Dylan Morris as their starter. I, I want to see Heward out there. <laughs> yeah, everybody a- wants to see this shiny new toy. Brock <laughs> redshirted, and now it was different because his brother was the starter when that happened. But, yeah, I I, 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 th- I think Dylan Moore played well. I'd like to see Sam Heward play a, a series in both the first and second half, but I'd expect Dylan Morris to get the bulk of the snaps and them not even to share time. Meanwhile, Washington State still uh, starting quarterback. Not named Kyle DeLora, Jared no. Guarantano. Which, Guarantano is the one from Tennessee. Tennessee, correct, yes, the transfer. Do you want to hear Jimmy Lake take a shot at the SEC? I yes. always enjoy it when this happens. Do it. Here, here he is talking about their, their level of difficulty in scheduling. The SEC, they love to play, you know, Northwestern Directional State. I mean, those guys play two of them a year, but doesn't no one talks about that. <laughs> no one talks about that. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's right. You get a mud hole walked in us if you actually played him, but that doesn't mean you can take pot shots from across the country. He believes in the alliance, Danny. The alliance. No. <laughs> the alliance is dumb. The alliance. the alliance is so freaking stupid. But the, the alliance the, the, plays games the alliance, early. The alliance wants me to make me want to kick something like, really hard. <laughs> I know. I think it's funny. All right, that's hot off the presses. Front page news. Let's get to the professor for the morning drive. We got a lot to talk about today. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything. NFL, NFL from the professor, John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Uh, professor, if we're basing it off his play last year, as Danny described, 
it makes sense to move on from Cam Newton. But at the same time, you look good this preseason. Do you think, as Danny asked, that potentially this was a move that was done because of the COVID protocol that Cam may not have been following over the past week? In part, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, what you can see is like here's a guy last year who had COVID-19, missed some time, played poorly after he missed some time, said it really affected him, and then he doesn't get uh, a vaccination. And so then he comes back this year and he gets another, uh, you know, COVID-19. It's like, it, uh, I, I really question it. I mean, he only missed like five days or whatever. It wasn't a big serious thing, but I think it just, he, he just can't get the ball downfield. I think his body's so beat up. I think that, uh, you know, you, you look at his resume right now as far as being a quarterback and it just wasn't good enough. And Mac Jones comes in and he is great. Mac Jones wins it. So that's now what's going to end up being 14, repeat this, 14 quarterback changes in the National Football League. We know San Francisco is not going to go to Trey Lance because now he's got a chip in his finger that uh, had to be taken care of surgically. So he's going to miss seven days. So they're going to go to Jimmy Garoppolo. But 14 quarterback changes. But I think the big one right now is the fact that Mac Jones is beating out and knocking off, uh, you know, uh, the, the quarterback who, you know, you, you figure was probably going to win the job is not going to be there this year. All right, John, we've gotten a couple of updates about Seahawk releases, a couple of backup mm-hmm. offensive linemen that were let go. Uh, but the big news is Sidney Jones, the cornerback yeah. they acquired from Jacksonville. What's the expected role for Sidney? Uh, I mean, you know, you look at him, he's more of a slot cornerback. So what, what you think is now he comes in and does he beat out Ugo Almani and Marquise Blair as a slot cornerback? I mean, that's, I think, his main role. And he's he's uh, it's, it was an interesting move because, again, they have a lot of cornerbacks. Can you know? Can that fit as far as how they're going to work the roster for fifty-three? But uh, you know, I thought it was an interesting trade. I mean, it was a sixth-round pick. You know, they get somebody that uh, is not all that expensive and all comes in. He's talented, and it's like uh, I, I think right now he has a chance to be the slot cornerback. This cornerback group is, to me, a bit concerning, John, because of the uncertainty after DJ Reed, who really played well the second half of the season, but it was against a lot of quarterbacks who weren't very good. What's your read on the position and the group as it compares to the rest of the league? It's better right now because, I mean, you know, say what you want. I mean, they get Jones and he's talented. And so now, uh, you know, this team may not be as good without Shaquille Griffin, but it's more talented in the standpoint they got Jones they were able to, uh, you know, keep all the guys that they have, and so I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it was a move that secures some different things, and now makes it a little bit better. So we'll see. But uh, you know, making this trade for a sixth-round pick, I think, was good. John, uh, let's switch around to the rest of the league because we do have other yeah. things going on. The Saints have released Devonte Freeman. Is that a surprise? Not really. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he's. I mean, you know, they brought him in, and we've seen a lot of moves made in the last couple of weeks. When you bring in somebody like a veteran and all that stuff, uh, they're, they're and again, they look at the Saints, and they're not that good right now. They're going to be down 10 starters for the beginning of the season. And so now you, you have him come in. Didn't work out. He's going to be the, you know, he's going to be a possible backup running back, and it didn't work. But now 
These are the moves that happen because what you're looking at is that, okay, so here you, you go through training camp, you bring in somebody during training camp, see if it's going to work out. Didn't apparently work out. We're looking to see what will happen with the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson. We did find out that mm-hmm. they're supposedly prepared to have him on the roster, but inactive every single week. Watson also supposedly won't waive his no-trade clause for a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles. We've heard those rumors about Miami. Can you believe that they would be holding a roster spot for Deshaun Watson every single week, even if it is an inactive player, just so that they could pay him to not play for them? Well, again, it's like, I mean, Houston to me is the worst-run franchise in sports. So nothing from Houston surprises me. <laughs> I mean, it's like they're Holy terrible. Crap, man. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the worst-run team in sports. So they're going to pay him $10.4 million not to play quarterback. Are you kidding me? And, and you know, he doesn't want to be there. They can't get three first-round picks and a second, uh, two second-round picks. Understandable. They're asking too much. So it's like, to me... Houston is just awful. Yeah, John, I I agree with you about Houston being awful, and and I would say this: I don't I don't think I think Cam should or Devonte, I'm sorry, Deshaun Watson yeah. should be on the exempt list. I I think he should be on the exempt list. But if I'm looking at this from Houston's perspective, yeah. I I could see saying right now is not the best time to trade him. Mm-hmm. We'd be better off trading him in February, and we don't really care about the results of this season, like. If you don't have Deshaun Watson, you might as well tank, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I yeah, agree well, with you. They're, they're going to tank. I mean, there's no doubt. And and so and say that okay, and then we'll get to the off season, and then we'll look at trading Deshaun Watson. Like that that part of it of deciding not to play him and holding a roster spot for him all season. That they're going to be bad with him or without him, and if they don't play him, it might just be a case that they think it they'll get more for him trading him in February than they would now. Yeah, but they're not going to get three firsts and two seconds. No, they're not. You're right about that. They're, they're, and they're not. His his value is going to go down between now and February. Yeah, I mean, because again, I mean, if he doesn't get suspended this year, it's going to get suspended next year. He's got 22 lawsuits against him. The lawsuits aren't going to be heard until what uh, May to July of next year. And yeah. that's when they're going to probably make the decision whether they're going to put him on the exempt list or not. I mean, they could put him on the exempt list this year, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But it's a mess. And, I mean, he's made it a mess. And <laughs> so what What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, apparently they're going to not play him and pay him this year. Yeah. John, we always appreciate your time. It is a really, really busy week. Oh, and you're man. the best person today, to have today, on. Today, today's unbelievable. It is. We'll look forward to catching up with you tomorrow and hearing you this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. Okay, sounds good. That is the professor, John Clayton. Russell Wilson's court has sent a courier pigeon to one of his most reliable bards who says, oh, he's in the absolutely wrong spot for him. You're going to have to hear this next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Poor Russell Wilson. He's all by himself. You know, a lone individual on this Seahawks roster, Danny, that I think is looking ahead to this coming season, trying to be optimistic, positive. Well, at least that's what Colin Cowherd would have you think. Here is the most recent chirping that the loudest member of Russell Wilson's court had to do, saying that locker rooms usually reflect 
reflect quarterbacks. But in the case of the Seahawks, it's a little bit different. Russell Wilson's Mr. Optimism, Mr. Positive Vibes, Go Hawks. And he's surrounded by a bunch of kind of moody, what's in it for me? I want a contractor. I'm not going to practice. And it's weird. I think Seattle players respect Russell Wilson, but is he one of the guys? Like, I don't know. It's, it's very weird. Everybody's what's in it for me. And I'm like, it's, 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 I, Russell Wilson until this year was just like focused, children's hospitals, optimism, go Hawks. It's a weird vibe up there. So this is Cowherd talking. It's not Russell. Correct. And we'll get into the, the difference between that in a second. His observation is it's flat out wrong because it doesn't take into account the times that Russell has been adamant about getting his contract taken care of, going so far as setting a deadline and making that deadline public and then having his agent tell Peter King that if an extension isn't signed today, if they don't meet this deadline, that he's not ever going to sign a long-term contract with Seattle again. So that that's the first part of it. The second, I would just ask you to take a bigger a look at the bigger picture. Is this the second time now that we're going to go into the storyline of all Russell's teammates don't like him because they're mean? Because it's already happened once. Like that was the, and that was the explanation for Seattle's defense. And look, I think there was some truth to the friction between some of the players on that defense and, and Russ being the responsibility of the defense. But are we going to now have a whole different group of guys who these guys are mean and self-interested too, and they just don't appreciate the great quarterback they have. Like, we're going to do that with a whole other group of guys. Same, same storyline just applied to them. Especially when this group of guys is rather affable. This group of guys is completely different. Than- if anything, I worry that they've taken the stinger out of some of the roster because they were worried about how hostile that got. I think there is something to what Cowherd is saying about there being a gap between the locker room and Russell Wilson, but to portray it as it's these guys looking for contracts, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Dwayne Brown, as if they are me, 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 and Russell Wilson isn't, I don't know about that. I don't even necessarily have a problem with it, but Russell Wilson is who he is, and he is a guy that is very brand-focused. And he is very much about himself, his legacy, his career, that, that, all the power in the world to him. But let's not act like he is anything different than that, like he's team first exclusively. Well, he's not the kid that's being left out of the cool kid's table, right? Like, if anything, he's set up. And I, he, has, he has said, is Russell Wilson one of the guys? No, and he never has been. And some of that's a function of the position he plays. Elite quarterbacks in this league can't really be one of the guys like there's a limit to how much you can do that because of the power that you have in the organization the some of that's the function of how russ operates and and i think that that's part of how russ has gotten as much out of his career as he has and that's not a criticism but if you're asking me is russ one of the guys no and he never has been and that's not the other guy's fault that's that's partly how russ operates and it's partly how his 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 position functions the second part of this is what it's it's not just anybody that's saying this it is Colin Cowherd who has consistently, I would say, advocated a storyline or information that has framed Russ in the best possible light. Because, like, I, Colin Cowherd is one of the best people in the country at this job of hosting radio. He he tends to flip flop wildly between positions. There's very, but he's incredibly entertaining. 
for a three-hour radio program, the ideas that he comes up with, the content, like that's all very entertaining. But there's a consistent through line here with who and how he advocates for Russell Wilson that frames him as a victim that really isn't, it's not only is it not accurate, but I think it's done in service of, if not Russell, people who are close to Russell. It does feel that way, but this time it doesn't feel, Danny, like the message is coming from somebody that might be a little closer to Russ, like it has in the past, right? Because there have been so man. This one feels like this is Colin Cowherd looking for a take to have the dead week before cuts, before we get to the regular season. This, to me, as someone who has done who who does this job myself, is looking for some sort of content, thinking about all the things that he's talked about this off season. And just coming back to it, as opposed to actually being given this information. This this is too far-fetched for even someone like Russell Wilson's court to push. Do teams really reflect their quarterbacks? Is Collins' idea, like his thesis here, that teams reflect, take on the personality, like quarterbacks, is it true? Does, does Green Bay have Aaron Rodgers' personality? Is Aaron Rodgers around a bunch of people that got— Like, seriously, like, is it true? What is is Cam Newton? What was he reflective of the of of the New England Patriots? Deshaun Watson, like is that is his idea even true? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, take a look at Pittsburgh. You know, is Ben Roethlisberger reflective of the rest of the Steelers roster? I've, I've gotten the idea that most of the Pittsburgh Steelers tolerate Ben. Yeah. And don't really like him, right? Right. Like that they like they, they, they tolerate him and they understand that he's better than most quarterbacks in the league and they've won an awful lot with him and he's got his own rules. But I don't I don't think anybody in that locker room and certainly times in the past, I think there's been outright friction. But I, I don't get the sense that everybody's like, Yeah, he's one of us. And, and by the way, you don't need you don't no, need that. I, I don't mean, think you do. The Seahawks won a Super Bowl where they clearly didn't have it. I mean, now, okay, this is this is an interesting argument that I'm not 100% sure I buy because it, it, it sort of is portrayed as if there is some sort of discord between Russell Wilson or, or disagreement between Russell Wilson and the rest of the team. I don't, I don't get that vibe the same way that I did with Richard Sherman and those guys who really seemed to be turned off by who they thought Russell Wilson was. I get annoyed when people paint quarterbacks as victims in the NFL. And it's regardless, and it cuts across all of the different teams and personalities. It annoys me when this Russell's in a tough spot. These guys don't like, like, I hate that story. And the reason is because I do think players get put in difficult spots. And I think that they can get used by the business. And, and I think that there are times, but quarterbacks and especially starting quarterbacks are not those guys. They are the most privileged of all the players. And they're clearly still not management, but they're almost management. So anytime somebody send, sings me a sob song about what's so difficult for the quarterback, I'm like, nope, nope. You know what's difficult is for the fifth string linebacker who knows that he can't miss a preseason game with the ankle that he can barely walk on because he'll get cut. So he goes, that's who it's tough for. It's not tough because Russ is around a lot of guys who want to get paid just like Russ has gotten paid and taken every extent to it. Nope, 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 not poor Russ. Yeah, that one is really hard to buy into because also wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago where 
Russell Wilson was willing to take a pay cut to give some of these guys oh, no, 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 restructure no, his contract. Exactly. Get paid his money in a different format. Instead of a check, he was going to get direct deposit, and that was his big sacrifice. Right. And so now what has changed since then? Oh, nothing. That's why I have a hard time believing this is actually coming out of Russell Wilson's court. This is just Colin Coward doing his I'm not going to call him his master. Doing Russell Wilson's bidding. We'll have more audio that actually relates to this coming from a former Seahawk to get to later on today. But let's dive back into a conversation we had a little bit earlier about cornerback. Danny likes what the Seahawks have done at the position this offseason. I'm a little freaked out. Who's right here? We'll discuss next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. All right, we got a ticket giveaway coming up today. Everybody's got to be on their toes. We're going to do it in the 8 o'clock hour. You're going to win four tickets to an upcoming game. Mariners host Houston. They got a game tonight, and then tomorrow it's a midweek matinee. Leave work early for a 110 game. For $10, see a great AL West matchup. You can find tickets at mariners.com slash value. We will be giving away four tickets in the next hour. State of the cornerbacks in Seattle. DJ Reed is your starter on one side, but has not played in the preseason. Expected to be healthy with a groin injury. On the other side, I would say it looks like Akilah Witherspoon is your starter. Signed in the offseason after he's a former third-round pick. Second round pick, chosen in the first half of the draft, up and down career in San Francisco. They didn't retain him. You signed him. He's probably your starter ahead of Trey Brown, who's looked good at times in the preseason. Fourth round pick out of Oklahoma. And now you've acquired Sidney Jones. Traded a sixth round pick in next year's draft for Sidney Jones. Add him to John Reed, who has got a conditional pick. How are we feeling about Seattle's cornerback position? Big picture, Paul. Pete Carroll calls me a warrior. I am worried about the position. And that is even with Pete Carroll having a history of being able to find diamonds in the rough at cornerback. John Schneider having that very same, sharing that very same history. Because I don't know how good DJ Reed even necessarily was at the end of last year. And he is definitely your best corner. But he was going up against in that second half of the season after they got absolutely destroyed by Buffalo. Which happened. They went up against quarterbacks that weren't very good. Now, Akello Weatherspoon looks the part. He's got the size. He's got the height. And they have taken some flyers on a bunch of different corners. Sidney Jones, the most recent Danny. I just guess that when I look at what they did last year, taking a similar flyer on Quinton Dunbar. Yeah. And then just taking a look at the list of some of the free agents that they've brought in and everything that they have done post Shaquille Griffin do they still deserve the benefit of the doubt at cornerback that maybe we once gave them? They're piecing it together. I could see how you'd argue you don't like what they've done and you don't think it's going to work out well. I I generally look at it, Seattle has consistently acquired cornerbacks for less capital than other teams spend at cornerbacks and gotten good play out of them. Whether it's Shaquille Griffin, who was a third-round pick and ended up being a Pro Bowl alternate, Certainly the, the glory days of Byron Maxwell as a sixth-round pick and Richard Sherman as a fifth-round pick. But I think overall, Seattle's done a good job of Justin Coleman came here for a seventh-round pick and was a stud for two years before leaving for a big-money deal. 
Like, I, I, I think they know what they're doing when they, when they acquire guys. Quandre Diggs, who was, what, a nickel corner in Detroit, and Detroit decided to move up on him. They put him at safety. I think Seattle knows what it's doing with its DBs. I, I'll say I like what they've done more than, say, going out and getting one veteran like Stephon Gilmore. Because that's the person everybody points to, right? He's unhappy in New England. He's a former defensive player of the year. You need a starter. Go out and get him. Do whatever it takes. That's one path. I like the path that they've taken where they've gotten four guys who they, they believe all have some upside. Trey Brown, Akilah Witherspoon, Sidney Jones, and now John Reed. And figure out which one fits. And if one of them doesn't work, it's not that big of a loss because you've got some depth there. And if none of them pop, yeah, I think you could look back and say it's fair. They should have gone and gotten more of the sure thing. I just think that in this case, the sure thing, Stephon Gilmore, isn't as sure as we think. And it's really expensive. I, I think that's a fair argument to make. They don't have the capital, probably, to make a trade like that happen as much as I would like to see it happen. I mean, I would imagine New England's going to want multiple first-round picks because I think they believe they are in win-now mode. They want to have Gilmore on that team. And then on top of that, you'd probably have to give him an extension to make sure that he gets out on the field. Yeah, man, why would you give up picks to pay him some, what New England already won't? That, that's, that's totally fair. And you didn't have really any other options, I think, as far as cornerbacks that hit the free agent market this offseason. I mean, do you want to spin the wheel on Patrick Peterson? Because I, I think we no, saw in Arizona, dude, no, 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 he's not no. the same player anymore. So I, 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 I get that. I understand being cost effective. But at the same time, there's a certain point where you look at a decade of work and you could make the same argument that you've been cheap of late. Now, you mentioned Justin Coleman, DJ Reed. Uh, some of the draft picks that they brought in, of course, too, at the beginning. They've always been cheap, though. True. But at a certain point, doesn't that ultimately, don't you ultimately get what you pay for at a certain point? Especially when at the beginning of the decade, you know, uh, Richard Sherman in the fifth, Byron Maxwell in the sixth, Jeremy Lane the next year in the sixth round, Shaquille Griffin in the third a little bit later, Walter Thurmond, I guess, in the fourth. Those are the guys that you've drafted. But there have been a lot of other guys that they have tried the same thing with. Uh, Harold Simon, I. Smith. Flowers, we'll see with Amadi, uh, veterans that they brought in. Those are took all a flyer dudes that are on. second half of the draft, right? Like if you're picking a guy in the second half of the draft, like the expectation is that he's a special teams contributor. I, I agree. My my point is that they haven't really gone after guys in the first half of the draft at that position outside of Wish Shaquille Griffin. I mean, he has been the exception. If you take a look at their entire draft history, and then when you yeah. talk about the free agents that they've brought in. This is the list, at least of the guys that I was able to find, and you're probably on top of it a little more than me, but Antoine Winfield, who didn't work out, A.J. Jefferson, Phillip Adams, Kerry Williams, which was the one which was the big ticket item, which maybe yeah. is a reason to not go after Gilmore types, Jamar Taylor, Dunbar, who they traded for, and now Pierre Desir, who they cut. So they've gone after a lot of guys. The success rate is not expected to be very high, but at a certain point when that is the entirety of your list, do you maybe need to look at it a different way and perhaps be a little bit more... I guess, willing to give that extra draft pick or pony up that extra buck? Has corn, corner been a problem? Do you feel like it was a positive for you last year? N- no, but year I don't identify I, I don't identify cornerback as being the big shortcoming on this team. Like I, I don't and all of the free agents that you mentioned there, they didn't they didn't spend on except for Kerry Williams. Like all of those other guys, like they Right, I, they were flies. I don't I don't think that they've gotten I think they've gotten more than they've paid for at the cornerback position. I think they've gotten better play out of their corners and that every corner that goes somewhere else gets worse. 
every corner when they go somewhere else ends up getting worse. I think Seattle brings the best out of cornerback. Isn't isn't that about though? That that that's not about who they bring in. That's about who they let walk. Which so what do you want them to do instead? If if you think that they need to start spending bigger assets on corners, who who is that? The who is that question is. Next time in a draft, are they going to be willing to second round? And again, this past year is one of these weird things that I think throws a giant wrench into what they actually could have done this offseason. But if you go back to 2019, 2018, post Shaquille Griffin, do you feel like they've done enough at that position? Could they have done a little bit more? Could they have thrown a little extra at it as opposed to going the way that they've been going at it? I guess that's that's sort of what I'm asking. Not really about this offseason. I'm asking about like the last couple of offseasons. I, I don't think that they have done enough at the corner position, and it has been, I would say, in 2019, it was definitely a problem at the end. I mean, they, they lost on two third and nines. The pass rush maybe didn't get there, but Ugo Amadi was, was the one in coverage on those two plays. And then last year, too, that's not the reason that the season ended, but in the first half of the season, it was a historically bad defense. Those two completions against Ugo Amadi were from two guys that were in the top 10 of the NFL 100 players last year. And Ugo, if there was any shortcoming, it was that he was not played earlier in that season, that they didn't go with their young guys well, well enough. I don't think cornerback has been the enduring problem on this defense. I'm more worried about the defensive line than I am about their corners. And I darn sure wouldn't be feeling like, oh, everything is, is great if Stephon Gilmore was here. Because I'd be worried that he's cooked and you've given up a lot for a guy that you're hoping maintains that level of play. I would feel better. But I would know also, as you mentioned, that you would be giving up a lot to get him, and that could potentially hurt you in the long run. If we're talking about exclusively 2021, I mean, that's what you would be bringing him What if him you in trade for? a second-round pick and sign him to an extension and he's cooked? Do you think he's going to be cooked? Yes. I, I think there's a very good chance that he's cooked. More than 50%. Do, yeah, New England doesn't choose to not pay guys who are still good players. But, I mean, they let Ty Law walk. Ty Law had a bunch of interceptions the year after he, he left. You know, it's not like they've always been right away correct with some of the guys that they've moved on from. Maybe eventually, but it's not like Belichick makes the right move every single time when it comes to moving on from those guys. And they had a long stretch where they, were, they needed corners just like I think Seattle does right now. It's Danny and Gallant. We'll bring in Brock, see what he has to say about how Seattle's cornerbacks look next.